0: We're up to Daf Lamin Ches Amid Aleph, uh, three lines uh, into the into the Amid. The Gemara has one q- more uh, quick Gemara about referencing yesterday. Yesterday we talked about there was a Masayra Halacha Mesh of uh, the Trap, Halacha Mesina that the Psukim, where the Psukim end is also Halacha Mesh Mesina. Pisak Pisak ha-psukim is Halacha Mesh Mesina. So the Gemara says Amrav Ach Barada Bimarova Paskinu Lahade psuk, let's lasei This is one area where there's actually a dispute as to uh, what the Halach was, the Pasuk says, I'll read you the Pasuk very quickly. It's a long Pasuk. The Pasuk says, So we have that as one long Pasuk. In Eretz Yisrael, they had as three Psukim. So they had it as, Stop, one Pasuk. Stop. Second pasuk, and then the third of Moshe is Divramel Moshe, So that was a third pasuk. Again, it's a it's a different machlegus in the Messiah. So the Gemara. Now we have a new Gemara. Basically, until the Mishnah, which is Agadita. A the Gemara says like this: Amr of Chama Bar Moshe. Again, what, what this means is a lot of. A, uh, it's like all all dafyami. You do the Gemara fairly quickly, and then if you want to look into it on your own. So the Gemara says. is, a, uh, brain is shot. Is Shabbos this whole sugar, throughout Shas And, and that, it and works that, it through. Is, so, uh, so you'll look into that if you'd like. Um, so the Gemara continues. <laughs> the Gemara says that the Luchais were made of gemstones. And whatever this means, Hashem, Hashem allowed Moisha to keep when he carved out the luchais, the little scraps, the little pieces that came off, Maishavinu kept that, and that's how he gained his wealth. It's interesting. It shows you also that uh, he didn't lose out by being Isaac and Tyre. He made he made his wealth from from the from the remnants of the luchais. Because the Apostle says, <laughs> You should carve it. <laughs> the leftovers, the scrapings, the carvings. Should should be for you, okay? Amra am Rabbi Yosi again. Whatever that means. Amra am Rabbi Yosi Bar Chanina. Le nitne Uh. Oh, I skipped. I skipped. I'm Rabbi Chamer Chanil. Le hashem Moshe. I'm basalshin shaluchesh and i Yeah, yeah, fine. So the Gemara continues. Amra am Rabbi Yosi Bar Chanina. Le el la Moshe. So it's so a pel of the That the the ending of the Gemara is something that's a little bit easier to understand. The Havamin is a pel. The Gemara says. The truth is, when Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe, uh, he intended really for it to be for Moshe and his family. You should write it, you should carve it. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu was able to keep over the leftovers, and it was for him privately and his family. So to the writing, the Luchas is also really intended for Moshe Rabbeinu. But... Moshe was generous and shared it with that's why Moshe is so blessed now what this means that Moshe Rabbeinu was originally supposed to keep it now the ending of the Gemara is that there was something intended for Moshe Rabbeinu exclusively, and he did share, it. we'll get to that. what there was. But right now the Havimine is called Terkul. The entire Torah was really meant for Moshe Rabbeinu and his family, and and Moshe Rabbeinu was generous and, and saved and, and shared with Kalay. So what this means, uh, it's a very, very hard thing to understand. The, the Gemara eventually is going to uh, whittle away to what it actually means. So Moshe Rav are you're telling me that the Torah was really intended for Moshe, but didn't we say, Hashem be'isa doesn't the Pesach say that Hashem commanded me to share it with you? That's the whole point. Yesterday we said, the reason why you can't charge for Torah is because Moshe Rabbeinu said, I was required to teach it. And we said, yes, yeah, so it's just like Moshe, Moshe, um, uh, Moshe taught it for free, so do we have to teach it for free? You see that the Torah was given over, not for Moshe Rabbeinu to keep for himself, it was given over to, to, to si Hashem, Hashem, commanded Moshe to teach us. So how could you say it was intended for Moshe himself? So the Gemara says, si No, no, si Hashem commanded for me. And I chose a I chose to teach it to you. I I could have kept it for myself. Again, it's a hard thing to understand. Gemara says another one. The posik again says, another posik, that Hashem said to Moshe, I commanded you to teach it. So you see that he couldn't keep it. The answer is again. No, no, no. I should command it to me. And I chose to share it with you. Another Pesach. So how could you say that he meant to keep it for himself? The Pesach clearly states, That I gave you the Hazinu in order to teach it. So you see the Torah was meant to teach to Kala Yisrael. The answer is No, no, no. Only Hazinu was meant to share. The rest of the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu was, uh, could have kept it for himself. So the Gemara says, but it says, so you're telling me that the only thing Yisrael was supposed to receive was Parshas Hazinu. But it says about Parshas Hazinu, Yisrael. The pasuk says that Shireh Hazinu is supposed to be a testimony to the rest of the Torah. That Shireh Hazinu is supposed to be like a, like a microcosm, that this is an example of, of, of all of the Torah condensed. So if you're telling me that all of Hazino is just the only thing Chayyim is supposed to, supposed to receive is Hazino, then how could Hazino be in a, a a projection for the rest of the Torah? If that's all they're supposed to keep, then how can it project to others? I mean, you're telling me the only thing they're supposed to receive is Hazino, but it says Hazino is supposed to be an aid. Hazino is supposed to is supposed to project that that this is a condensed version of what we have, which implies that they have something else. So the answer is no, no, no. Of course the Torah was meant to be given over the Klali, so uh, the, of course. So what does it mean that Maisha Benin could have kept it? Meaning, the Dinim and the Halachas and the knowledge of the Torah was meant to be given over. The ability to understand Torah, the ability to do Yigim Omidas HaTorah and the ability to darsh, and the ability to expand, to understand one thing from the other, that was from Moshe. that he could have kept. I mean, of course the knowledge he would have given over, the conclusions... But how to get there? The kavachoymer the hakiras that he could have kept for himself, and that he shared. So of course the tire was not to be given over, but he gave over the background of the tire, which he didn't have to. The background of the tire he could have kept for himself. Now the Gemara continues. The Gemara says, "Amrav Yehonan." Rav, Yeichanan. Rav Yeichanan says, "Ein hakodesh baruchu." There's going to be some I want to have those. Yeah, the Gemara continues. Um, if someone wants to be like a Navi, to have Hashras hashchina, to, to be able to have Hashem's presence rest upon him, he has to be strong physically, wealthy, he has to be wise, and he has to be an Anav. And all of these characteristics we learn out from Moshe Rabbeinu, because Moshe Rabbeinu had all those things. He's the, he's the prototype. Now, by the way, the reason why he has to have all these things is because if a person is supposed to be like the center point where Hashem is shaira, then he has to be someone. It's not that the wealth is a sign that he's a good person. It's that, it's that it makes sense that Hashem's shaira would be shaira on someone that's impressive and someone who's capable and someone who has all of these qualities. Now, all of these qualities Moshe HaVinu had, so he was wealthy, he was strong, he was wise, and he was an honor. So now we have to prove that. The Gemara says, well, Giber, let's go with the first one. How do we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was physically strong? So the Gemara says, because the pastor says, Moshe Rabbeinu spread the covers on top of the Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu himself spread the covers of the Mishkan. And we know that the Mishkan was 10 Amas tall, which means Moshe Rabbeinu was 10 Amas tall, because you can't... Spread something unless you're the same height. Now the Gemara assumes if the fact that Meshavin was that tall, Mustama he was very he was very strong as well, meaning it's unlikely that he would be super tall and super skinny. The Gemara thinks he was probably very tall, and Mustama, uh, the height is an example of uh, is a, is a, is an extension of his strength. So the Gemara says the obvious question: He You could be tall and, and skinny and not and not strong. Maybe he was he was like a lanky guy. So he was super tall, but he wasn't strong at all. Happens to be, by the way, the ability to spread the curtains itself. It's not. It's very very heavy. But but the Gemara is looking for more. So the Gemara says, okay, you're right. How do I know that Moshe Rabbeinu was strong physically? from the other Pasik. The pasuk says that Moshe Rabbeinu said that he took he took the two luchais and he threw them down and shattered them. Vitanya and the b'risa teaches, the Luchais, what were their dimensions? Arkan Shisha, Rachman Shisha, Shisha. They were six by six by three. Six by six by three tefachim. By the way, that's also so I got back to the share I mentioned on Tuesday night that they were square, they were rectangles, they were not rounded on top. They were six by six by three. Now, for that's a very very thick uh, marble. It happens to be also they were gemstones, gemstones, you know, the diamonds. They're very 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 strong. So for him to throw it down with such force to shatter it, it shows a tremendous amount of strength physically. So that's how you know he was strong. The next thing is he was usher. He was wealthy. How do you know my was wealthy? Well, and We just got finished saying that he got to keep the fragments of the gems that he carved. That, that's a tremendous they amount of wealth. Threw out his hand by themselves, wasn't it? Well, so so one magic implies that the, it's, it's sort of this 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 passage implies that he threw it down with strength and he shattered them. But uh, yeah, because the the Pashim shot of the pasuk, it seems like he was so shocked he just dropped them. Not, he dropped them, they're not going to they're going to break. He he threw them down with force. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 a it's a. They weren't made of glass; they were very very strong. So the usher that's how you know he's wealthy. Now how do you know he's wise? He's no shabenu. Rabbi Shmuel Damer Tavayu sharebina Sharei Bina Hashem created fifty gates of Bina. The kulam nitna choser achas. ben was forty nine. The only one who has fifty is Hakadosh Baruch himself, Kaviochol. Ma'isha benu had as much as a human could get of bina shenemar. But He was a little bit less than God, meaning a little bit. His wisdom is a little bit less. He had forty nine out of fifty. There's no one who's greater than Moishah. Ratzadik actually says that for a Jew, whatever this means for a Jew, Ratzadik says this in tzikas that he says for a Jew to learn Torah, it has to go through the neshama of Moishah He says a Jew cannot understand any aspect of Torah unless unless it's connected somewhat the Moishavino is the is the conduit of wisdom in the world, and how do we know he was anav? Moishavino was anav, ish Moshe anav ma'od mekaladim. So okay, so there you go. Now the Gemara says, Amrav Yechron, Rav Yehi'chanan, ha'yu." The truth is, all neviim were wealthy. Menolon, me Moishah, me Amos, The examples of neviim being wealthy is Moshe we just got finished saying, Shmuel, Omus, and Yoina. And we got to go through all these. Moshe how do we know the Moishavino is wealthy? So we already had this, but the Gemara, before it gets to where we're saying, tries another uh, avenue. The the, Chsev, the Pasuk says, when Moshe Rabbeinu is defending himself after the Kairach's uh, uh, complaint against him, he says, <laughs> I never took a donkey from them. Not even a donkey. Now let me ask you a question. Question, do you think Moshe Rabbeinu is saying he didn't steal a donkey? That's such a grace of a praise. I could also say I didn't steal a donkey. But what does it mean Moshe Rabbeinu said I didn't take a donkey? It means he didn't even take it as payment. Why? If he ever made dealings with Kalal Yisrael, he was so wealthy he didn't need it. So the Gemara says, Now if Moshe Rabbeinu was praising himself that he didn't steal a donkey from Kalal Yisrael, would that such a grace of praise that he didn't steal from another Jew? Of course not. It means even as payment he didn't take it. He didn't take it as payment because he didn't have to. Okay, I mean, why, why didn't he take a donkey? Because he, was, he had so much, it, 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 was, it, was, it was beneath him. That's how wealthy he was. So Gemara says, I don't know about that. Maybe he didn't take the donkey because he was so poor that a donkey would be a waste of time. Like, donkeys are meant to schlep things. Maybe he was so poor he had nothing to schlep. So the fact that he never took a donkey is not necessarily a raya that he was that he so wealthy. Maybe he's so poor that he had nothing to schlep. And Avi honestly is a little strange because then at least take the donkey and then you flip it. But but anyway, so that's how that's how well that's how poor he was. He didn't even think of that. I don't know. So the Gemara says you're right. We want something more direct. Psal so lucha. and and sheilach. the original shot, which is the carvings of the gemstones. My was able to keep. So that's how you know. I mean was wealthy. so the Gemara continues Shmuel, how do we know that Shmuel is wealthy similar pasach Shmuel is praising himself defending himself and he says I never took an ox from Klai Yisrael so I never took a donkey, same thing I now if he's taking it without payment, if is he praising, is he claiming that he never stole an ox or a donkey? That's such a grace of praise that Shmuel saying, I never stole a donkey or an ox. it means that even as payment he never took it. Why? Because he was so wealthy, it wasn't needed. So the Gemara says, same thing, Maybe Shmuel didn't take it because he was so poor that like an ox and a donkey is no is meaningless to him. It has no tachlis So the Gemara says, okay, rather we want a different source of Shmuel's wealth. The pasuk says about Shmuel, about, haramasa, Shmuel was a, was a wandering tzaddik. It was like a lohavdil. Uh, Ramelech Bidon doesn't have a Stella. Ramelech Bidon doesn't have a shul or a yeshiva. He just goes from place to place giving shiurim. Shmuel also would travel. And the Pasik describes when Shmuel would travel, it says, Kisham wherever he went, that's where his house was. And the Gemara, it's a two opinions in a different mesech, I don't remember where, but it's two opinions that they argue about um, is it that he, he, wherever he went, he took nothing? This Gemara is saying, no, wherever he went, he took his house. You ever been like a big, big Rebbe when they go somewhere? They, they take everything away. Because when you have a lot of money, you don't have to, they're not guests. They bring their house. So the Shmuel was like that. The Gemara, wherever he went, his house was at the meeting. He brought his beds and he brought his cabinets. That's how wealthy he was. That's how, that's how you see, that's the wealth of Shmuel. Now, the Gemara just says a similar thing. The, the great wealth of Shmuel was actually, in a way, greater than Moshe, in the description. Moshe said, I never took a donkey, even as payment. Moshe is praising, is, is saying, I never took it as payment. Would he take it as a gift? Maybe. Shmuel is saying, I never took donkeys as payment. If Kaleisa wanted to give me a donkey, would I take it? Yeah, I'd probably take it. Shmuel wouldn't even take it as a gift. Because either his wealth or his lack of desire of wanting to be uh, taken from someone. But Shmuel had a different approach. He wouldn't even take it as a gift. They both wouldn't take it as payment. Because they both were wealthy enough. They didn't have to take it as payment. But as a gift, Moshe Abenu seemingly maybe would. I don't know if he ever did, but conceptually... The Mashmouth of the Pasuk is that he would. Shmuel says, No. I I I don't consent to any gifts. Shmuel didn't take anything. Now the so that's how you know that Meish is wealthy? That's how you know Shmuel's wealthy. The next one on the list is Omus. The Pasuk says, I'm not I'm not the son of a I'm a herder of animals. And the article says, I examine sycamore trees. Okay, that was his uh, profession. The of Yosef and Yosef in I own cattle, and I and I own sycamores. Apparently, sycamores uh, to grow sycamores, you need a considerable large property. So the fact that he had sycamores was uh, implied that he was. Uh, on the wealthier side that was almost. and the last one is Yoyna Yoyna dechsev a yitin schar the Pasuk says that Yoyna paid to get on the boat where he, the famous boat that he was eventually thrown off that he was swallowed by the large fish Yoyna paid to get on the boat so that, how is that sign of wealth I mean a lot of people paid to the boat this is a large uh, large liner like a large um, carnival cruise liner he paid to get on the boat but v'amrav y'echanan he paid for the whole boat he rented out the whole boat for himself that's what he that's why by the way that's why he's just partial of that's why he's the focus of the entire thing like the whole thing is like there's a crazy waves and they're like <laughs> looking at you <Yoda. laughs> because he rented out the whole boat uh, it was basically just the fishermen and him the, the workers and him and Amr of Romanus from Romanus said shul sfina arba from dinari to rent out the entire boat cost Yonah 4 thousand diners of gold so that's how wealthy he was okay We'll end with this and then we're going to do regular Gemara. Originally, when he went to Harsinai, he tried to learn the Torah, but he kept on forgetting it. Until Hashem gave him the gift of, remembering, of memory. The Torah was given over as a Matana, and there he started to remember. Okay, new Mishnah, and then we'll go from the Mishnah to the Mishnah, then we'll stop. Now, the Mishnah continues. Uh, we're talking about again, uh, one person, Reuben, said, I say to Gavin, I'm not benefiting from you at all. Okay? So we're talking about what Gavin can uh, can do for me. Again, I'm not benefiting from you, so we said, he could separate Truman, he could return a lost object. So now the Mishra says, Zanis Ishtai Vezbanov. Avushub Chayvim Vezan The halach is, that if I say I'm not benefiting from Gavin, Gavin can still pay for my wife's bills and give food and money to my children. Now, the question is Why? Am i not responsible. Of course, I'm responsible to support my kids and to support my wife. So why is he allowed to? So two approaches amongst the rishonim. We've had this many, many times. The sheet of Chanan, Chanan sheet is that avoiding a loss is not a gain. So the fact that I, you're not giving me anything. I'm just now not having to pay my wife's bills. So first of all, according to Chanan, it's for sure allowed. Even the the tanoim who disagree with Chanan, the kahanim gedolim who feel that avoiding a loss is a gain. So they say the case is where I am supporting my wife and my kids, meaning. When you read the mission, it sounds like, I'm refusing to pay, or I'm not paying anything, and you're just solely taking care of it. Now that's considered, according to the Khan Gedolim, but in that's considered a, be- a benefit. So why is it allowed? So they say the cases where I am supporting them, you just want to give them extra chocolate. So that's fine. Like, that, that's not considered a benefit to me. I, I, the, the, what's the benefit? That my kids are happy? That's such an indirect benefit that that's fine. So either the cases where you're solely supporting them and I'm not giving them anything and it follows Chanan who holds that avoiding a loss is considered a gain, is not considered a gain, or, and that's why you're allowed to support them, or it's following the Kadam Gedalim and avoiding a loss is a gain, so I am avoiding a loss because you're supporting them and the case is where I am supporting my wife and my kids, I'm paying their, the, 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 the requisite requirements, you just want to give them extra stuff because you know that, let's say, I can't afford it, and you just want to go out of your way and buy them uh, nice Hanukkah gifts, that's fine, because that, the, the benefit to me is it's, 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 it's removed. It's incidental. Okay. But in this case, I'm just keep, you, you, keeping you as the example, in this case of Gavin, where I say, I'm not benefiting from you, you can't feed my animals. Now even if, now you're going to say, well, of course, you have to feed your animals. Even if I feed my animals, you cannot give added food to my animals. Why? Whether it's kosher animals or not. Well, first of all, if it's kosher animals, the fatter they are, the more I benefit. I eat more meat. Even non-kosher animals, I could sell them for more money. So you're giving me a direct benefit by fattening up my animals. So you're not allowed to do that. Ravaleza says, you could feed the non-kosher animals, you're not eating them anyway. Oh, kosher animals, you can't, because they're fatter and they more meat. I understand that. Non-kosher animals, well, why well, can't you feed it? So it's a very interesting lashon. Amru um, they said to Rebbe What's the... Uh, what's, why do you make a distinction between kosher animals and non-kosher animals? Amr lahu this is how he describes kosher animals versus non-kosher animals. By the way, what his intention is to say is that kosher animals you're going to eat, non-kosher animals you're not going to eat. So kosher animals you're going to eat, fattening it, the better. Non-kosher animals, you're not eating them anyway, who cares? But just the way he describes kosher animals and non-kosher animals, he says, "Tahar nafsho shemayim v'gufa shaloy. Tahar animals, their souls are for God, but their bodies are for you. Tameya, non-kosher animals, go to the next page, both their souls and their bodies are for God. Which, by the way, just goes to show you, there's a big site from Rav it's one of his like major yisites, and this explains a little bit of the dangers of other Mauritians' attempt to sin for the right reasons. He says, everything that's living has... A spark of God in it, right? That it can't survive unless there's sort of God pumping life into it. He said, "Things that are not kosher. It's not that they're devoid of that. It's that that spark is actually so powerful, and it's coming from such a the 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 darker the light, the darker the place, the more the stronger the light to survive there." So he says, "The actual part part of God that's found in Chazar is actually tremendously strong." But Hashem said, "Don't touch it." Hashem said, "Just don't try to reveal it. Don't touch it. Don't go near it." The mistake of Audemarishin, the mistake of all these, you know, all these people that sinned L'shem Shemayim, and their downfall was they were attracted to that light. It's interesting that he describes non-kosher animals as their souls and their bodies are for God. There is something there, it's just not for you, No touching. But it doesn't mean that they're devoid. It means there's there's a, an aspect, there has to be a godliness in there. It's just, it's not for us to touch. It's called klipas, shalish klipas hatmeis. You're not allowed to touch them. So, but it's it's for God. So, the, basically, Rebbe was saying, the difference between kosher and non-kosher is very simple. Kosher animals, you're going to eat. So, the fatter they are, the more you benefit, non-kosher animals. You're not eating anyway. So, they responded very simply. Eloi, the bodies of a non-kosher animal is also for you. Why? Shem yirtza, hare humayich Eloi, why can't you feed it to dogs or why can't you sell it? So you're not going to eat it, but the fatter they are, the more you could sell it for. So that's interesting. Okay. Now, the Mishnah said that, again, in this case, I said, I'm cutting you off. I'm not benefiting from Gavin. Gavin is still able to pay my wife's and my children's bills because it's incidental, the benefit, or it's avoiding a loss. Okay. The Gemara says, what about the following? Am Rav Huna. If you cut someone off, Now, what this means is like this I say I'm not going to benefit from Gavin, I'm cutting you off. One of us, it doesn't say who, we could become machatanum, meaning either I'm allowed to marry your daughter or you're allowed to marry my daughter. It doesn't say who, but it means that even if one of them is cut off, They're allowed to marry into each other. Now, the Gemara wants to know what exactly is the case. Who is marrying whom? So let's go. Exactly. So the Gemara says, Who's trying to marry who? Let's go to the Pasha case. I say, I'm not benefiting from Gavin at all. But my daughter, I'm marrying you after her. So you're marrying my daughter. So you're not benefiting. I'm not letting I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to benefit from you. I'm not allowed to benefit from you, right? I'm cutting you off, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm no, I'm sorry. Opposite case. I'm not allowed to benefit. I'm not going to benefit from you. But you're. I'm marrying your daughter. Okay. Here's the problem. When you marry, sounds very bad. It really sounds bad. But mm-hmm. in the Gemara's terminology, when you marry a woman, especially when she's younger, mm-hmm. and the and the father marrying her off, you're getting help around the house. Um, they call it like a maid, the servant. Politically correct, obviously. But, so the Gemara is saying like this, I'm not allowed to benefit from Gavin, but I can marry his daughter. But why? By him marrying his daughter to me, I'm benefiting that my I'm getting housework, I'm getting cooking, cleaning, all the responsibilities that a wife does for the husband. I'm benefiting a lot from you. So I'm not allowed to benefit from you, so then how am I allowed to marry your daughter? How is that allowed? So the Gemara says, If it's that, that the chassan is not allowed to benefit from the father-in-law, but by this, but by me marrying Gavin's, by, by A marrying B's daughter, I'm by A marrying B's daughter. Then, then the, he's benefiting by having uh, cooking and cleaning and all the things that a wife does. So he is directly benefiting from the person that he's not supposed to benefit from. So why is that allowed? So the says, "Okay, you're right. Reverse it. I said I'm not going to benefit from you, and you marry my daughter. Okay, so." I said I'm not gonna benefit from you and I'm now marrying my daughter to you. What benefit am I getting? Nothing. There's no benefit. Oh, so you can say, say what the only benefit I'm getting by marrying my daughter off to, 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 to that person who I cut off is he's now paying for my daughter. But by that time she's already married. It's not my responsibility anymore. It's actually incredibly partial. You're not getting you're not benefiting at all. I said I'm not gonna benefit from you, and then I marry my daughter off to you. So I'm not benefiting from you. So yeah, how am I benefiting that you marry? You're my son-in-law. What does that do for me? It doesn't do anything, <laughs> right? Son-in-law is a follow What does it do for you? Does <clears> nothing. <throat> it does nothing. Money. It does money. nothing. So, money. yes, it does. Uh, yeah. So so what what does it do for you? It does nothing. So so why so what's the chiddush of the gemara? The chiddush is that that you could become my son-in-law. Is that, is that even necessary to say? What do you see from the Mishnah? The Mishnah says that if I said I'm not going to benefit from you, you could pay my wife's bills, which is a direct benefit, and that's still allowed. You now have to tell me you could become my son-in-law? It's posh it, because you can now support my daughter, who I don't even have to support anymore because she's already married. It's, it's, it's pretty posh it. So the Gemara says... It's poshit. It's incredibly poshit. What do you have to say that for? You could be my son-in-law? Of course you could be my son-in-law. You're allowed to pay my wife's bills directly. So rather, the Gemara says, Let's go to the first case. I said I'm not going to benefit from you. Okay? I'm not going to benefit from you at all, and I marry your daughter. So you're going to say, well, that's a problem, because you are benefiting from because you're getting uh, made, so to speak. You're getting a lot of housework, so why is that allowed? The answer is, the case is, she's no longer under bat mitzvah. So she, it's not considered you marrying her off. Meaning, it is benefit. Ittaka is benefit from the father. But only when the father is the one marrying her off, when she's above bat mitzvah and she's choosing to marry you because she's an adult, We don't look at, even if the father, the says even if the father gave advice, that advice, it's too indirect. So the case is, so I said, I'm not going to benefit from you. I'm not allowed to benefit, this direction is cut off. I can't benefit from you at all. But I'm allowed to become your son-in-law when she's over bat mitzvah. Because if she's under bat mitzvah and you're marrying her off to me and it's your decision, then I am getting a direct benefit from you. The case is she's above bat mitzvah. The most you could do is give advice. That that, that that that's that's not a lot. So the Gemara says, umedaita." <laughs> the case is she's above ba mitzvah; and it's her da. So it's not any any interaction you had, even if you coach, coached her and, and talked her into it and gave her advice. It, it's it's not halachically significant. The Brise similarly teaches, You're not allowed marry the daughter of someone that you cut off. but you could if she's above bat mitzvah. Okay. Last Gemara, uh, two more Gemara's. Uh Umrab Hamadir Chavis, You have this over here. You have you actually had this by the way, it's like big, big rabbanim. They wanted to make sure that their sons or son-in-laws would learn. So they said, I'm not benefiting from you. I want you to just sit and learn. I don't want you to do anything for me. Because they know it. Kiber of Aim, it's it's a big responsibility. I, I want nothing from you. You're cutting your son off purely so that your son can learn because you know that if the son does stuff for you, he's not going to be learning. So I'm, I'm, so, you know, Yaakov Yitzchak says to Yaakov, Yitzchak says to Yaakov, his son, I'm not benefiting from you at all because I want you to sit and learn. The halacha is still the son Lamalus He could still um, he could still was um, a um, He could still fill up a, an urn of water there, He could still light a candle for the father. Meaning. Although the father said, I'm not going to benefit from you, we understand that his intention was in order to allow the kid to learn, and therefore he's only trying to asser things that take time. Meaning, if the father's sitting there at the table, he's like, you pass me a napkin, you can do that. I, I, I thought you said you're not going to benefit. He, the father meant to prevent the son from taking laborious times. So he doesn't, he's not allowed to build a sukkah, and he's not allowed to help him pack his... Because those things take a while. Things that are quick. The father never intended to aser. So we're going to, into his mindset and we're saying, well, if you aser because you wanted to allow him to learn, then you're probably your intention was to only aser uh, actions that take a while, things that are quick, you, you, you still wanted to allow your son to do, and or to, to roast a quick fish. takes a few minutes. And that, that's not what you meant to aser. You meant things that will take a while. Similarly on this theme that when you made a nether, we try to go into your mindset of what you meant. Simple case. I say to Gavin, I'm not benefiting from you at all. No, I'm actually, I'm not going to pick you as an example. Reuven says to Shivan, I'm not going to benefit from you at all. You're cut off. The halacha is, He's still allowed to receive a cup of peace. A cup of peace. What's a cup of peace? A cup of peace was a euphemism. There was a type of drink they would call it a cup of peace. What were those cups? What was it? Tupshatam. Ma'eniyu, Targima, in Bavli they said, Koyshal base the, the meals, the avil that were customary, they would drink a certain amount of wine during the mourner's meal, the first meal after Ten after cups. the funeral. Ten cups. So, p'sachim, right? it's p'sachim they were talking about. so the halacha is, you can pour him. Meaning, if Reuben says to Shimon, I'm not benefiting from you at all, Shimon can pour him wine. You say, why? Isn't that a benefit? So the Ran says, the assumption is that when you aser uh, benefit from A to B, you intend, even when you're upset, you intend to cut him off. But when someone dies that's a time where you're supposed to let things go, and we assume that not pouring him a glass of wine when he's just getting, sitting shiva, that's reprehensible to avoid that, and even you don't intend that. Meaning we're getting into the mindset of a person that even if A cuts B off, he doesn't mean to cut him off to that extent. He maybe doesn't want to interact with him on a daily basis, he doesn't want to benefit from him, but to not hand a, a mourner a cup of wine, that, 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 that you can do. Because the assumption is you didn't mean to answer it to that extent. Another pshat is Marava Amri in Eretz Yisrael They said the cup of peace is actually the cup of of, of hot water after the after the bathhouse. After the bathhouse, um, they would I'm sorry, it's cold water. They would give you a, a glass of cold water to, so that you didn't pass out. So the assumption is basically, in other words, you have A and B. A says, "I'm cutting B off. I'm not benefiting from you at all." And then A comes to B's house. He's like, "I don't feel so good, and he's about to pass out." B can give him a glass of water. I thought you, oh, you cut him off. You didn't intend to allow him to pass out. What you meant was, I don't want to interact with him on a daily basis, but to be something to to basically not do something that's reprehensible. We assume you didn't intend. Uh, last Gemara we had a discussion in the Mishnah are you allowed to fatten if, if, if I said to Shimon if I said to Gavin I'm not benefiting from you can Gavin feed my animals so he said kosher animals for sure not non-kosher animals is a so the Gemara uh, Gavin while he can't feed my animals he's allowed to feed my slaves so why says my time it's good for animals to be fat slaves that are fat are not good it means that they're going to get injured and they're not going to work very hard so by him fattening up he's actually hurting me he's by him fattening on my slaves he's actually doing bad for me so that he could fatten up the slaves because that's not a benefit at all nobody wants fat slaves fat animals is a benefit fat slaves not so much I will stop. Him. nah